Hi, I'm Shari Tishman. And I'm David Perkins. Welcome to Episode 4 of Season 2 of our Thinkability Podcast. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. And a special thank you for the positive feedback you've been sending our way. Hey, Shari, do you want to tell us what is on tap for today? Sure. Today, we're going to explore the topic of expansive thinking. Now, even if that term isn't familiar, you'll probably know what kind of thinking we're talking about. Expansive thinking is thinking that pushes beyond the boundary of the given by expanding out to cast a wide net for ideas, for questions, and perceptions. Expansive thinking includes familiar things like brainstorming and concept mapping, and also other kinds of thinking that really help us expand outward or in new directions. Dave, do you want to add anything? Let's see. Expansive thinking enlarges the scope of what it might be possible to think, do, feel, or perceive in relation to the topic at hand. For instance, here's a favorite historical example. NASA had a re-entry problem. NASA is the National Aeronautics and Space Administration in the United States. And early in space exploration, they needed to find a substance to resist the heat of re-entry. It turned out to be hard to find, but you had to protect the astronauts. Well, they looked and looked and looked, and eventually somebody asked, maybe we should think about what's the real problem. The real problem is to keep the astronauts cool, not necessarily a substance that resists. So they took that to heart, and they ended up with something very different from what they were originally looking for, what's called the ablative heat shield. That substance burns away. It doesn't resist, but by burning the way, it sweeps the heat back behind the space vehicle and keeps the astronauts cool. So we have here kind of a little thinking routine. What's the real problem? Well, that's a big example with some history behind it. Uh, Shari, how about something closer to home? Can you help us out there? Well, closer to home, I was recently at a local art museum, and I was actually there to see a colleague who works as a museum educator there. And she happened to be facilitating a conversation with a group of high schoolers about art in the museum. And when I got there, they were looking at a very traditional sort of historical artwork. And I was really struck by how often she really encouraged students to think expansively. You know, she started right out by asking them, what do you notice? And they mentioned a couple of things. And she pushed them to expand their thinking. What more do you notice? What more can you see? Can you mention some more details? You know, she really pushed them to expand the observations that they made. And she sort of took that strategy a few times throughout the conversation. I remember one time in particular, she encouraged the students to brainstorm a lot of questions about the work of art. You know, and at first they said, well, you know, what was the artist thinking? And when was this made? And they sort of stopped there. But she pushed them to expand their thinking even more. And they generated all kinds of interesting questions. Oh, that's a nice one. Well, okay, we have a couple of examples on the table. Let's dig in. How can we organize this? Maybe we can talk about the why, the how, and the when of expansive thinking. Let's give that a shot. Shari, help us get started here on that big why. Why attend to expansive thinking? Well, as you're saying that, Dave, it makes me think that there's actually two sides to the question of why attend to expansive thinking. 
One side has to do with why we miss opportunities for expansive thinking. That is, you know, what are the obstacles that keep us from thinking expansively when it really would be helpful? And then another side to the why question is about benefits. Why is expansive thinking beneficial? Hey, let's start with the first one, why we miss opportunities. Dave, what do you think? Why do we miss opportunities? This reminds me of four dispositional problems that we mentioned earlier in the series. A lot of times our thinking is hasty, narrow, fuzzy, and sprawling. The narrow item, well, that refers directly to expansive thinking. It locates expansive thinking as one of the four big challenges of effective thinking. There's a counter disposition, so to speak, make your thinking broad and adventurous. To go with that, there's a kind of a funny acronym in the literature called W-Y-S-I-A-T-I. Don't try to pronounce it. <laughs> what it stands for is what you see is all there is. Uh, this comes from one place from the work of Daniel Kahneman. We have a tendency to deal simply with what's obviously on the table. And a lot of times that just makes sense. It's getting on with it. But there is this kind of illusion that what's obviously on the table is all we need to think about. And hey, that isn't always the case. Relatedly, and remembering visual perception and looking at art and looking at the world is a perceptual illusion of seeing things whole. Realistically, we know when we look at a scene that we don't see everything that's there, not by a long shot, but it's not like we see holes in our sense of the scene. We don't see holes. We don't see the gaps. Another example of this is taking our first sense of a problem as the definition of the problem. Remembering the example from NASA, what's a substance that resists? That's the problem is given or is seeming given. Research in education shows that's a problem kids have with mathematics. Difficulties come from not quite getting a good sense of what the ask really is in the problem. So everyday situations don't typically cue for expansive thinking. They favor more, well, we could say settled thinking. After all, there's enough to do. By the way, here's a little add-on. There's one problem of expansive thinking we're not taking up here, closed-mindedness. Getting past closed-mindedness is an important side of expansive thinking, but it's a whole complicated thing in itself. We're focusing today on situations where we're not deeply stuck in a particular viewpoint and can easily spread our wings, if only we think to do so. Well, that's a bit about that side of things, but here's the second side of the why. Why do we need to reach further? What do we get when we do it? Shari, say something about that. Oh, sure. Well, the benefit side, let's see. Well, I think, you know, a real obvious benefit is that thinking expansively really supports and indeed is part of creativity and innovation. As our, both of our examples indicated, I think it you know helps us think broadly about possibilities, about solutions, about how to reframe things. Help your NASA example is a great example of how expansive thinking can really push us to think outside of the box. And you know, there's all kinds of examples in everyday life. 
I was just remembering a few nights ago, I was cooking dinner and I uh, didn't have an ingredient I needed. And so I had to think expansively about what I could use as a substitute. I wasn't about to stop in the middle of the preparations, but I wasn't going to run out to the store either. So I had to really kind of get creative and and I did. (laughs) Thinking about household stuff, tinkering is also a a kind of an expansive thinking much of the time. You know, when something breaks or you're trying to sort of get something to work, you try what's around. Maybe you've had that experience of walking around your house looking for creative things to help you do something like prop up a window or tape up something to the wall. I mean, there's very everyday examples, but these are all examples of expansive thinking, a benefit. Let's see, another benefit, I think, of expansive thinking is that it helps us go beyond dichotomies, beyond either or thinking. You know, Dave, the old adage, when you're faced with two options, choose the third. You know, that that impulse to go beyond the obvious and look for something new is an example of expansive thinking. It is worth noting that expansive thinking is really closely connected to creativity, but it's also worth noting, and this is another topic in itself, but there's more to creativity than expansive thinking. I mean, sure, that's a really important part of creativity, but there are other parts as well. But back to the benefits of expansive thinking, you know, yet another one, and we alluded to this before, I think, is that it helps us create a richer, more multidimensional sense of a topic or an issue. So For example, when you're creating a concept map or a web, you're really creating an expansive representation of what something might be like. And so that's another benefit when we have to do that. Okay, well, let's see that we've talked about sort of the two sides of the why. What about the how question, Dave? How might we attend to expansive thinking? What can we do that will get us to do it? Get us started. Ah, the big how. Well, let's not forget the obvious here. We already mentioned brainstorming. This is perhaps a classic of creative fluency. We've all heard of this, and most of us probably remember some of the tricks. Generate lots of ideas or impressions or questions or possibilities, whatever you're after. A key element of brainstorming is avoiding criticism of ourselves or others, if it's a group thing, for a while. Because, yes, there'll be some crazy ideas. There are supposed to be some crazy ideas, but they can be weeded out later. Getting critical early on tends to block some of the more interesting and generative ideas that you might think of. Also, remembering the example from NASA, brainstorming is not just about brainstorming candidate solutions. It's about the problem. We mentioned before what you might think of as a thinking routine. What's the real problem? It's not that there's only one version of the real problem, but you keep asking the question over and over. Maybe the real problem is this. Maybe the real problem is that. This is a way of opening the possibilities of the problem space. Or I think Shari mentioned a minute ago, between two options, choose the third. This isn't to say you have to choose the third, really, but it's to say, look, are you just looking at the obvious two options? Maybe it's worth thinking for a minute about whether there's a third or a fourth or a fifth that would be worth exploring. So there's a couple of ideas about how to attend to expansive thinking. Shari, maybe you can build on that a little bit. What else you got? Sure, I'll try to think expansively. Aha. No, um, sure. Uh, those are great strategies. 
Another one that occurs to me is, is intentionally reaching for connections. That is strategies that really push us to stretch for comparisons and connections, that push us to make metaphors and analogies, to look for similarities and differences. You know, Dave, I don't, you may remember quite a long time ago, there was a, a program called Synectics that was, it was about creativity and it was about making the familiar strange. And the idea was if you try to imagine a really unusual connection, your mind almost can't resist making that connection. You know, you get, how is a, is a microphone like a walk in the woods? You know, once I suggest that to you, your mind just expands out and tries to make that connection. So making, reaching for connections and metaphors and analogies is another strategy. Yet another strategy, I think, is really ramping up receptivity. This is sort of a little bit like looking for lots of observations that I mentioned er earlier, but these are strategies that really help us widen our minds, what we notice, widen our hearts and our senses to really receive additional input. So as I mentioned earlier, we might say, well, what more do you notice? That's sort of pushing us to be more receptive. Or we could say, what else is a situation telling us other than the obvious? What are our minds saying? What are our heads saying? What are our hearts saying? What are our bodies telling us about something? Just really amplifying the receptivity that's part of our whole being. So that would be another set of strategies. And then continuing on, just I keep thinking of more. I mean, another one is really intentionally looking for different kinds of viewpoints. You know, multiple perspective taking is a kind of expansive thinking because it's about generating lots of possible perspectives as a way of really trying to get a, a large expansive view of a situation. So those are some add-ons. Does that help you think of anything new, Dave, or anything anything you want to add? There's a kind of a quirky thing that sometimes happens that maybe is part of the how. And I guess the advice is avoiding early high investment and commitment to a particular approach. It's easy to get locked into an approach. You started to write something, started to plan something, and it just gathers momentum. If you want to explore a bit, a very good place to explore is early on and trying things out lightly, often more than one thing. There's a whole perspective on inventing designs and products and so forth. It's called rapid prototyping. And the idea is you don't try to converge quickly on the one way. But you do get in there and throw something together, a sketch, a model, or whatever, and get a feel for it. And because you're not too invested in it, you can step away from it. Or you can continue to develop it. Or you can throw together another prototype. So that early looseness is one of the hows of expansive thinking. So you, so you don't get sucked into your own ideas too deeply. Well, that's a little bit about the how. Maybe we ought to say a few words about when to extend to expansive thinking. And I guess that point about avoiding early investment is one of those wins. The easy answer to when to attend to expansive thinking is, well, always, why not? Hey, think of the traps, think of the opportunities. But let's get real. We can't think expansively all the time or even most of the time because, well, who has the time? 
And really, who has the need for lots of routine things that are working out well and aren't particularly our focus and aren't particularly high stakes for us? It's wildly inefficient. So what kinds of occasions to keep an eye out for? What are the symptoms of likely need? Mm. Hey, Shari, could you get us started on this little mystery? Symptoms of likely need. I like that way of putting it. Well, I think, you know, you just mentioned one that's really important, which is situations that are medium to high stakes, where if you start down a path, it could be hard or awkward or really problematic to change course. I'm just thinking of some of the things in our world that we do, but maybe you're planning a presentation that you're going to give, whether it's at a community meeting or a workshop or any sort of presentation that you might give. And you know, once you start, you're going to not be able to back out and, and change the way that you're doing something. So you, And that's the high stakes or a medium to high stakes situation. So times when, it's, when you really can't turn back are good times to think about whether you're really thinking expansively about the different approaches that you might take. So there's one. What do you want to add on to that? I guess another one is resistant problems. These are problems where, okay, you made what seemed like a good start, but initial efforts just don't get very far or only get somewhere not very satisfying. NASA, again, it was pretty reasonable to start out looking for a substance that resists. But what do you do when you keep banging your head against the wall about that one? You need to rethink. And there's a moment for expansive thinking. In the same spirit, there are situations, problems, challenges where we feel boxed in. I don't like A. I don't like B. I don't like this constraint. I don't like that constraint. As the saying goes, and it's cliche, but it makes a point, how can I think out of the box? Chari, how about you? Well, one thing that occurs to me is that it's worth thinking expansively in situations where there might be hidden richness, you know, where something where you could just look at something and move on or experience something and, and move on. But if you probe and poke, you can really expand the way that you think about something. Again, thinking back, back to the example I gave about the conversation in a museum, works of art are like this. I mean, you can sort of look at a work of art quickly and just take it in. As you say, I, I won't try to duplicate the acronym that you gave, but what you see is all there is. But it's easy to have that feeling about a work of art. But if you really take some time to look slowly, to think, to talk, its richness can really open up to you. So things that have a sort of a hidden or a, or a back complexity. But also, it reminds me that there's deceptive plainness about things that discourages expansive thinking on the surface. For example, an everyday object, you know, could seem very plain, a coffee cup, a water bottle, things that we don't think are very interesting to probe. But when we start, we start to ask questions about how something's made and where it's come from and who's been involved in it and what it implies and so on and so forth. There's all kinds of complexity to dig into. So I guess a shorter way of saying that is that it's worth looking for opportunities to explore hidden richness. That makes a lot of sense to me. Let's see. Here's another side of win. There's sort of win in the sense of the overall arc of exploring an interesting or important problem or decision or opportunity. And we already mentioned, well, certainly early on, that's when taking one path or another can make a big difference in the journey. Also, 
the problem early on of being careful about getting stuck on a particular path. So certainly early on, but just one qualification, early on does not necessarily mean instantly. After all, right at the beginning, you may be getting oriented to the problem, getting more information about the problem. And that may be important. You may not know enough about the situation at the very beginning to do a good brainstorm. So there's one notion. Shari? Yeah, well, just to build on that, not only does early on not necessarily mean right away, but it also doesn't mean not later. In other words, you know, sometimes, you know, a full arc of thinking may involve expansive thinking at different moments over the course of the arc. Your, your, your example, your NASA example from earlier is a really good case. I mean, it was, you know, there was some expansive thinking early on, but then as, as sort of creativity and development in, you know, proceeded down a path, there became there came more and more moments where it was important to think expansively again. So maybe a way to think about that is that be sensitive to potential stuck point, places where it's really worth being inventive. Sometimes it's early on, but oftentimes it's quite it's later as well. Well, maybe that's enough about the when, standing back, Maybe that's it. There's a big picture about the why, the how, and the when of expansive thinking. Maybe it's a good time to sum up. What do you think, Dave? Want to get us started? Well, we have this little scheme. Why, how, and when. Here's a few words of summary about each. The big why. Expansive thinking is one of the big four challenges. Our thinking is often hasty, narrow, fuzzy, or sprawling. We tend to experience our early takes on situations as settled and final, but we can get a lot more possibilities and richness with expansive thinking that gets beyond that narrowness problem. How? In a summary kind of way, oh, there are tons of approaches here. Classic brainstorming, a number of thinking routines can help, like, say, what's the real problem between two options, choose the third. There are connection-making strategies, slow-looking strategies, which we've talked about before, like looking in a 10 times 2 way, which asks you to notice 10 things and then to notice 10 more, or a category strategy that asks you to look for different kinds or categories of things, and on and on. Pack up your toolkit. How about the win? Not always, because who has the time? But watch for cues like these, medium to high stakes, resistant problems, tricky trade-offs, plain old curiosity, themes and topics that are complex, themes and topics that are deceptively simple, but there's a lot going on inside. And as to timing, at or near the beginning, definitely, but not just there, because often needs and opportunities arise later. You know, though, there's one side of all this we haven't said anything about, and that's the teaching learning side of it. These notions are something we can try to take our heart ourselves and share with others, but what might be some headlines specifically about the craft of teaching? If you're an educator, a designer of learning experiences, what are some tips worth keeping in mind? Chari, help us out. Hmm, well, picking up about the last points that you were made about when, it strikes me that a rich, full arc of thinking or understanding rarely does not include expansive thinking. So as you plan an extended learning arc, 
arc, whether you're teaching a big topic or designing a prolonged learning experience or designing professional development or workshops or a museum tour, get to see that there are opportunities for expansive thinking that are built into it because it's very likely they'll be appropriate. And as, as we mentioned earlier, probably there'll be some opportunities early on, but also possibly later too. So that's one tip. Another might be to keep in mind that visibility helps. By its nature, expansive thinking is often elaborate or complex. It really unpacks a situation, makes all of the possibilities more evident. And sometimes that's hard to hold in mind. So making expansive thinking visible, whether it's through using a visible concept map or keeping lists, that's a way of helping learners hold an expansive possibility space in mind. Another tip is that thinking with others helps us create expansive possibility spaces. I mean, with others might be in pairs and small groups or large groups, but thinking with others helps expansive thinking in a couple of ways. For one, simply having more people contribute ideas to something mean that there are more ideas that populate the space. It's more expansive space. But also, hearing the ideas of other people often stimulates us and inspires us to expand our own thinking. Then another tip, and you mentioned this, Dave, is that thinking routines help. For listeners who are familiar with thinking routines, you might notice that most thinking routines include at least one expansive thinking step. For example, see, think, wonder asks you to think expansively about what you notice. It asks you to think expansively about questions that you have or wonders that you might have. Many thinking routines invite us to make lots of connections or to seek non-obvious connections or to brainstorm lots of possible viewpoints, or to think broadly about the parts and purposes of systems. These are all thinking routines that really intentionally push us to think expansively. So there are some tips on the teaching front. I think that rounds us out. Oh, Shari, thanks a lot. Nice closing thoughts. Well, we will be back in a few weeks. And we have an episode on tap with an intriguing name, the power and peril of story. We'll be thinking about why a story explaining how something happened or how something works is such a powerful form of communication and learning, but also how the flow of an engaging and convincing story can, well, keep us from seeing other perspectives in the bigger picture. We hope you'll join us. I'm looking forward to that conversation. Well, thanks for listening. And as always, you can find the Thinkability podcasts on the Project Zero website or on Substack, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you later, Dave. See you later, Shari.